We don't always hit our targets. That's just the nature of how things go. And it's trying to get that balance between something which is aspirational, but also something which is realistic. I guess being scared is a fear of the unknown, but it's dependent on what you value and what you don't. You know, could something be taken away? Will I not achieve something that means a lot to me here? This, these are the provocations for being scared other than, you know, obviously life or death ones, which are a bit different. But that means we have to value life in itself, I guess, to be scared in that instance. So, hello and welcome to the Track Record Podcast. Uh, what does it take to win? Each episode, we're talking to leading performers in sport and business to find out their inside track as to how they've been able to make it to the top. And today we've got a couple of high performers from slightly contrasting worlds. Today we've got Jamie, who is a co-founder and director at Too Good To Go, a food app inspiring and empowering users to fight food waste, and incredibly to date, have rescued 50 million meals um, that were going to waste in just under five years, which is amazing. And we also have Craig Morris, who's an Olympic and high-performance coach to many Olympic world and European medal-winning athletes um, in the world of the canoe slalom. So my old world and Craig and I kind of grew up in sport together. So it's very nice having him on this. Um, Craig's really passionate about taking a collaborative person and environment approach to facilitate a sense of belonging, growth and performance in the athletes that he coaches. So not the easy route for both of you. Um, and we'd love to hear just, you know, love a, a bit of a punchy opening question. So for both of you, what was the last really scary thing that you guys both did within your career? And I'm just going to put you straight on the pot spot, Jamie, um, throwing it to you. Well, if, if, you, if you're going to say the most scared I've been um, in my life recently, I, I was on holiday in Montenegro and I... Um, I'm one, one for the outdoors and did one of these st stupid um, go-ape-type style things, except the, uh, the health and safety was not what I was expecting. So I had my, uh, my, my life in my hands. If I, if I look at some of the most scary things I've done of late, like one of the things I'm, I'm frequently doing right now is, is lots of public speaking and, and talking and in ver various different events and fields. And I think, yeah, well, I had a bit of a... Uh, Bit of a moment last week, actually. I was I was after the One Young World Summit, where I had the pleasure of sort of sharing the stage and share, sharing the forum with former presidents, uh, world leaders, even ro royalty in the form of uh, Prince Harry and, and Meghan. And it's it's there where you sort of yeah, you know, you're scared because it's a bit overwhelming when you see the profiles of people that you're sharing a stage with. And for me, it was you know a, a bit of a um, yeah in, imposter syndrome moment where, you know, you're following after these, you know, really inspiring and courageous people. So I'd, I'd have to say in the most recent time, Montenegro, Go Ape and, uh, and uh, at one Young World Summit as well. Can't wait to dig into that in a second. Um, Craig, over to you. Oh, I'm not going to holiday with the children in Montenegro then because they love a Go Ape. <laughs> oh, a couple of things come to mind here. I think the scariest thing I'm doing or have done of late is, um, and I have a reasonably comfortable relationship with the unknown and uncertainty. So it, it's somewhat tolerable is, yeah, I'm getting into quite academic writing with what I've kind of people I've looked up to for a very long time in this field and that I've studied and, and brought their sort of findings into my practice. So to be in amongst them now doing lead author roles is, yeah, is, is quite a scary thing. But the most scared I've been lately is, is actually when I meet my form, a former version of myself in coaching. Um, and I miss. I've had quite a few jobs in my coaching career, really, and that have kind of 
made an about turn of the boat, if you will, um, in terms of where that's led me and to go and who I've become. And the most scared is when I, when I reach or meet the, the old Craig, really the one who's, who's listening to respond, not understanding, um, and is a solution giver really in any environment. And I, it, it's a real alarm bell to me because it's often when I'm not taking care of myself and I'm sure we can all resonate with that, be that, you know feeling like I'm torn between family and work or whether it's just personal time and space and energy levels and health. So yeah, the most scared is, is, is when I meet the old me, which is uh, always quite daunting. Mm. And, and it's almost like that there's a, a bit of a kind of connection there in a way that you're, what you're both talking about is, is almost kind of at the edge of what is normal or comfortable, you know, that kind of constant iteration of ourselves. And Jamie, you know, when you're standing up there and, and that kind of imposter syndrome you feel is, is kicking in, what is that voice? What, what is that story that you're telling yourself as you're standing on that stage? I think it's something that we can all relate to, right? And we've, we've probably all gone through life where we, you know, we, we compare ourselves to our peers, we compare ourselves to our friends, family, whatever it may be. And I think, you know, when you often share, sharing a forum, you know, I'm right here now, I'm sharing a forum with people who've been, been, been at the Olympics, you know, things I, I could only dream of. Yeah, you, you question the value in which you're bringing to a situation. And so, you know, for me, the way in which I, I overcome that is I recognize, or I, I try to recognize and, and relate to the impact in which, you know, the, the product and the, and the platform in which I built and what that is doing. Um, to society itself. But yeah, I really feel like it's something is that we probably all relate to at different times, but it's then, um, yeah, it's putting on that, that gray face and over, overcoming it, as you said. Yeah. And it's really interesting because almost Jamie, what your sounds like is you're kind of looking at a future version of you as in, wow, I'm now this identity and like, who'd have guessed that I'd be talking here and Craig, yours was almost being able to point back to a huh, that used to be me and now I'm here. And it's interesting how we kind of are on the spectrum, I suppose, of our identity at all times, which is, you know, where are you in this moment where you might be and where you've been. In terms of your story, Craig, when you are confronted with that old version, what was it that moved you from that to where you are now? What was the, the kind of impetus? Because knowing coaching and that environment, even though I'd say Salaam is you know, particularly progressive, really, is it when it comes to a coaching environment? What what drove you to go? That version is no longer okay as a coach, and I need to do something differently. Quite fortunately, it was feedback from athletes, which on one on one hand was really good because it was um, a reflection of a positive relationship. I think that they were able to critique me and give me feedback. I, I won't use the direct words that that might have been used at those times, but they were really useful for me. And the language that that they were using was basically articulating the fact that. I, I was using my role as like a hierarchical position as, as someone who had knowledge and should, should therefore have more knowledge than the athlete about a particular discipline. Um, but what I realized was that the attention they were paying in the environment was basically, they were meeting the knowledge of the coach rather than the interaction of the information that would provide skill performance to them. And they used to get quite, quite frustrated. It's that sense of trying to like roboticize people. It was positively well-intended in that it was looking to make more consistent performance and to help them follow their dreams, but it was ill-placed, Ill I think, and ill-informed at that point in time. So yeah, the feedback from athletes was absolutely rich. Um, 
And a few comments along the way of, of, you know, learned peers. I remember struggling for my philosophy of coaching for a very long time and feeling like I should have one, feeling like I was coerced to have one from coaching courses. But one question really stuck in my head um, from a peer, which was like, why do you coach? And then the follow-up, which was even more powerful, was why do you coach the way you coach? And, and this kind of introspection around those things was, was a big, big shift for me. I love that you're um, talking about feedback there. Yeah, that, that's something that we've, you know, really integrated into our company culture to, to go. And it's, you know, the notion, I don't know if you guys are familiar with like radical candor and, you know, the, the gift of feedback and how we can use that as a way to further develop ourselves, but also, you know, gain that em empathy of understanding how well other people are perceiving us. You know, I've certainly been guilty of that, that myself. I think back to the early days when we started to get together when expecting people to want to have that same vigor and that same passion as I had. And, you know, it wasn't until, you know, you gain a bit, a bit more perspective that I was able to recognize, you know, people aren't going to, you know, give a shit as much as I, I would at that stage, because it wasn't a, a, everyone's baby. And there's other ways in which you can, you know, inspire and motivate people, but it's some, somewhat sometimes I think unrealistic to have those same expectations on others that you may have on yourself as well. And how have you navigated that one, Jamie, in terms of, I mean, that's quite a common thing we hear from founders, you know, people should care as much as I do. And, and it is that realization that no one ever is going to, because they would have started it themselves otherwise. <laughs> and, and so therefore, like, how do you allow people to find their sense of passion within your business? So there's obviously a connection to the, to the cause. But what is it that you foster or allow or give space to that people can then go, right, this is the bit that I really care about that drives me? Mm. I think we're, we're in a fortunate position in the sense that unlike many other companies out there, we're, we're an organization which has a social and environmental impact. And given the fact that we're, you know, living and breathing a climate crisis, right? It's something that people are innately close to and really care about. So by being a mission-driven organization, I feel that, you know, that is something itself which provides a huge amount of motivation. And when we look at the, the rationale and the reason as to why people join us, they join us because of that, because they want to be part of something which is, uh, which is disruptive, something which is, you know, really challenging that status quo. Uh, it's giving people that space in which to, to operate in and, and recognize and valuing the impact that everybody brings. I think that is really at the crux of how we're able to keep people engaged and keep people mo motivated as one, the nature of being a mission-led organization, but also ultimately ensuring that everybody feels valued and feels heard and can recognize the impact in which they bring to, to get together. Craig, what about your experience of that? Because I guess the nature of sport is ultimately, you know, there are, there are medals at stake. There's, there's money from UK sport at stake. The, the, the emphasis can often be in that sense of you need to deliver so that the program can continue. How do you move away from that as a coach and again, foster that sense of, of allowing an athlete to find their why as to their performance? I think it's a fascinating point. And as Jamie was talking there, I was, I'd, I'd written down, you know, phrases I've heard over the year, which are probably quite, quite common across the sporting lang landscape, unfortunately, phrases such as, oh, they don't get it yet. Or maybe they don't have the coping strategies to, 
to be here, you know, to be able to sustain, you know, a career here, whatever that might mean. I think at a personal level, I've come to be at peace with the responsibility of my role and the attachment to, to what stakeholders see as my role, which is to, you know, facilitate medal winning performances. Ultimately, there's a much deeper core to that. And I guess I meet, I meet that in the, if I relate back to the questions, why I coach, why I coach the way I coach, then the third one is like, how appropriate is, is that for my current role? And that's where I have to be happy. Like if, if there's incongruence there, then, you know, I have a choice, maybe I move on, um, yeah. or maybe the organization moves me on. It's that sense of, yeah, I can find acceptance in that I am facilitating other people's you know, dreams actually just, I mean, the biggest thing is yes, it's medals and more and we want to win. Well, we can't hide away from the fact that we do have athletes that really want to win still in our systems. And it's how we balance and entangle all those things and care for people, um, at the same time and, and move them on a journey that's perhaps a little bit more journey oriented as well as destination oriented. So, yeah, I think you've got to be clear on your own whys and then see how much compatibility there is to the system. Why? And, and then it's a correspondence, I think, from there. Out of curiosity, yeah, what, what is your why? So, like, I'm, that's something I'm always fascinated about is, you know, what, what is the motivation, the thing that gives people the fire, fire in, in, in your belly, so to speak? So you talked about that question is, you know, why is it I want to get into coaching? I'm, I'm super fascinated by that. Thanks, Jamie. I mean, it's evolved. If you're asking me today, I think two things stand out. I love people. I love being around people. I love social dynamics. And I've always been a little bit obsessive about like learning and self-improvement. So sport is really the vehicle that combined those things for me. I think it could be in any form of interaction that suits that, maybe teaching, whatever it might be in another domain. But I get a lot of freedom in the sporting landscape in my role. And we also, I'm quite an adventurer, so I get to travel quite a bit as well. But it's that sense of never really knowing and no, there's no certainty. Like I've come to really lean into a sense of not knowing and uncertainty and, and vulnerability as strength and going on that journey with others, like a constant, you know, companionship of finding things out together. Um, the sense that it's more worth than it is anything I could do on my own. I had quite an, we might loop around to this, Jamie, because I think this, this, I'd be really fascinated to unpick it in your world. Like it's a very seemingly a very altruistic very community rich giving projects that you do. And I'm almost in envy of that. I've had quite an existential crisis around my coaching a few times is, you know, am I doing enough with the time I have here or enough people? Is it, is it too selfish because we do live in a bubble in, in high performance sport and is it, is it doing enough? Is it giving enough back? You know, is it allowing us and the world to carry on? Well, um, it's something I'm always torn with. Um, so I'm curious, yeah, how. How within your world, you marry kind of the business side of it with that mission side, which to me is like, you know, full of compassion, full of environmental care, full of people care. Yeah. Hey, there's, a, there's so much there to, um, to discuss. And if I look at the main thing that I'm pleased and proud of when I, when I, when I look at what we've built with two, two to go, you know, one is of course the impact in which we've had. So. We've rescued over 150 million meals across, um, across the past sort of six years, which is, which is pretty bonkers when, when, when we think of that. So that impact that we've had on a very sort of numbers 
basis, but also the way in which we've been able to engage people on it. But the the other way is is you talked about there about it being something which is altruistic. And essentially what we've tried to do with Tugutugo is to demonstrate that and, and really demystify this notion that you know business is there and and in order to succeed in business, people have to fail or somebody has to lose. And that's something which I've, you know, I've never got on board with, but rather really trying to show that actually organizations which have a social environmental impact, like that's the beauty, right? That's the magic. And that's where I think everyone should be getting to, into a situation where everybody can win. You know, so for us, when we talk about everybody wins, it means there were individuals wins, they've done something good. Uh, they've saved some money. Businesses have done something, or businesses have win in which they they've done something uh, positive. They've also done something which is uh, protected their PNL, and ultimately it's a win for the environment. And so for us, we built a model in which our own success directly correlates with environmental impact. So I wouldn't say that that's altruistic. I wouldn't say that that's something which is um, you know just done because we want to give back. Of course, we want to give back. But at the basis of this is actually really trying to challenge that status quo, you know, and, and show that this new way of conducting business is the way I think in which all business should, should be operating. And have you had to wrestle with that idea of kind of performance and purpose or mission in terms of, you know, you, we've seen it with a few businesses where they're very purpose-driven, that's created a huge amount of initial success. They then do incredibly well. And as a nature of doing really well, suddenly it's all about this expectation around performance. Yeah. And it's challenging to maintain the purpose piece yeah. times when, you, when you're actually performing incredibly well and it almost can get left behind. Has that been your experience at all or have you, how have you kind of married those two things? Yeah. You know, we will set out and try and build forecasts. We want to always grow. We're in a, in a growth stage of our business in which month on month, we want to be demonstrating growth, right? And so we go through a process every year or every quarter even where we, you know, we try and outline what our forecast is and how we can keep growing. Yet when we don't hit those targets, right, it's um, inevitably we do. Right? We don't always hit our targets. That's just the nature of, of how things go. And it's trying to get that balance between something which is aspirational, but also something which is, um, which is realistic. And so we do embed a performance culture because we always want to constantly, you know, raise our bar, self-improve, all of these types of things. But at the other side, irrespective of whether we've not hit a target or, or whatever it may be, we've still done something good. And that's, that's what's quite hard to ensure that we can keep and maintain this performance culture in which, you know, we're, we're constantly, you know, driving for this, um, for, for this improvement, whilst also recognizing that, you know, if we don't rescue X amount of, um, of meals this month, we've still done something positive and that's, that's a fine balance. Yeah. And, and Craig, in your world, um, as Jamie was talking there, I was just really getting that sense, the, the difference between, you know, the, the scoreboard. Uh, you know, the medal tally and the delivery of performance and the stuff that you can control. How do you guys manage that? Because ultimately it is a medals game and, and in sport, perhaps more harshly than anybody else or any other area, it is a tangible 
evidence of you are successful or you are not successful relative to your competitors? How, how do you guys deal with that? Yeah, it is. I think firstly, you have to kind of zoom out and say, who defines what success is to me? You know, and that's a personal journey as well as a systemic journey for the organization, I think. Um, you know, Jamie got me thinking that if we would take the medal tables and the results away, like what worse are we, are we, are we, you know, what purpose in life in, in a community of sports people, young sports people do we have? And I think that's a good testament. A colleague of mine once said that I don't mind what they've achieved when they leave our program, but they, I want them to have left having had rich experiences and being a better person for it. And that's always stuck in my mind, I think. And I often think about, you know, yes, there is the element of, of UK sport and systems that will have an influence on defining what success is and whether I'm here tomorrow or not. Sure. But I have to let go of any, I don't have much agency in that directly. I certainly don't because I'm not paddling on the river and thank, thank, thank goodness. Um, so I think it's that blend because that's what keeps you going. That's what I talked about earlier of that, you know, if you've got almost a dual purpose where on the one hand, yes, you want to win, you acknowledge that you look it in the face, you accept it, but then you place it in a position that your attention is not consumed by it. You can place attention into what winning looks like for you and what the steps toward that might be and realizing that it's a journey orientation, not a destination one that gives you the resilience to carry on, I think, and pick yourself up and move forward. And I often say to, to, to our guys here, I mean, firstly, we put a big team around the athlete and that's not necessarily just to spoil them. That's so we're actually entangling in the process of challenge and support with each other all the time. And we want to make sure we're giving a lot of effort and exhausting their curiosity and we've basically got the giving and receiving of permissions to, to encourage each other to grow, I think. And out of that growth, you know, hopefully success comes from time to time, but not always, um, not least in our sport, but you know, every sport has its own vulnerabilities. There certainly has plenty. So I think that, you know, I think we're all on personal journeys within a microclimate. You know, as Jamie would like, there's the mission of the company with Jamie, but I'm sure there's a personal journey uh, when he recruits, you know, he's curious to hear the experiences people want to have working with too good to go. And it's similar in the sporting realm, I think. Jamie, what was more, um, if you can boil it down in a very reductionist way to your most influential moment, whatever it might be in some childhood, any time that, that you think has resulted in you being in the seat that you're in today? Well, I think, you know, when I, when I look at my own story and my own journey, it's one which is, which is filled with privilege. I'm incredibly fortunate to be in the situation in which I am. And, you know, I think, you know, I talk a lot about the birthright lottery. You know, I'm incredibly fortunate that, you know, I was born from the parents I had, people who took a huge interest in, in, um, in the interests that I, I had, but also instill the value base, which I, which I think many people probably don't have. And that was things like a, a conversation around the table every, every single evening. Um, you know, for me, it was conversations from a very early age around things around activism. It was, it was around, um, social justice, environmental justice, and that, that planted a seed within me in which those were the things that mo motivated me. So I'm you know, incredibly fortunate, as I say, to have that upbringing. Had I not had that, had I, um, you know, had an upbringing of something else, maybe I wouldn't be in the position in which I am. So 
again, I think it's, it's so fortuitous when I think of this birthright lottery, the parents I had, the environment I was brought up in, the friends in which I, in which I made who, again, have been incredibly supportive to me along my journey in so much as giving me a sofa to, uh, to sleep on when we had absolutely no money to being a sounding board and a, and a sparring partner as to when, you know, I've had any of, um, any of the challenges I faced in a, in a professional and personal capacity. So I think it's very hard to hinge it on any one moment, but rather reflect on that whole journey and be incredibly grateful as to, you know, as to be given the cards on which I was dealt. And how about you, Craig? How, what do you think has been the kind of biggest influences or moments where you're like, yeah, because of that, I'm probably here now. Yeah. I always say coaching found me, um, through a, a significant other, a guy called Alan Edge sort of dragged me into it after I was cruising around after uni, should we say not doing much. Um, but through coaching, I found myself over time, I see. It definitely wasn't like a career choice. Um, curiously, you made me think there actually, like I have a real non-sporting family, yet they really provided sporting opportunities for me. My parents have no interest in sport whatsoever. Um, yeah, they used to give up every weekend, you know, for many, many years until I, until I started to drive, which is interesting because then they never came again, which probably showed their selfless act really. And like, off you go, plant the seed. Um, I think the moments have kind of been, I definitely, as I say, I definitely found that the marriage of things I was always quite curious in, like learning has been something I've always looked at. Yeah, I've always immensely curious and probably way too deep a thinker um, and very social. And therefore the two things combined around coaching seemed to make sense. And I could journey through that. The pivotal moments would be, would be, yeah, getting it wrong. I think getting it wrong, not asking myself for 11 years, embarrassingly, um, what the sport actually was was a massive moment for one that kind of turned coaching around for me. But so I used to, a short story, I used to think that coaching was all about good technique and quality relationships. And then people started quitting the sport on me. And I say that purposefully because I was probably quite ego driven at the time. And that was a massive, like heart wrenching moment. I was like, what's wrong with this environment? Like, why do you not want to keep coming back? You have a laugh here. And I realized I was almost. I had a relationship with a broader env environment, but not with the individual. And I think that is the biggest thing in my personal and I guess, um, professional life that's made a big difference is just, yeah, understanding the individual and interacting sort of constraints on their behavior and their livelihood and their lifestyle and goals and things like that before trying to in interact with anything. Do those motivations from the athletes themselves fluctuate from person to person on a, on a, on a large scale as to what those motivations that bring them into, um, in, into your sport. I think they do, Jamie. Yeah. I think it's a shrewd observation. Um, I would say, you know, most people are here because they want to win things, why they want to win things and what winning looks like is a bit different. Um, but they're all, you know, we, we kind of use the language of a direction of travel rather than goal setting towards a particular, because what we found is, and I'm sure David and, and Catherine can resonate with this is once you reach the destination of a goal and you achieve it, it doesn't, the feeling of niceness or accomplishment certainly for me, doesn't last long. So it's more like, yeah, meandering through a direction of travel. Yeah. So some people will be, I mean, there's the classics. Some people are here because 
Um, I think it changes over time, actually, Jenny. I'll retract that. I think most people come in because they enjoy doing what they do and they feel a sense of special, being special because they, they belong to a team or an organization and they can see a pathway. I think maybe the more experience they have over time and maybe the more they find themselves, as nuances start to appear. So it's about, you know, you know mastery. I, I work with an athlete who has a lot of congruence between like yoga practice and self-control and their athletic like interactions. And they simulate the two really closely. I've got another athlete who's probably all about winning for a very long time and now more sees the opportunity for personal growth in this environment as well. So yeah, there's lots of, lots of different reasons. Um, I think the ones who last the longest in my, and I don't mean, I mean, don't mean that badly, the ones who kind of have a longer career absolutely love the environment on water. Yeah. And you could see them if funding was dropped tomorrow, if the opportunities to raise some medals were dropped tomorrow, they would have a lifelong load of floating on the water. Isn't that fascinating? And, and one of the things that we are um, just intrigued by is confidence and the relationship between the confidence that we have and our ability to deliver against what the thing is that we're trying to achieve. And you mentioned Craig, the, the, the old Craig and the new. And, and I was drawn to something that you said around facility. You, you are there to facilitate medal winning performances. Do you think that the old Craig would have described the job as that? I think he would have hand on heart said that was his mission. Uh, maybe not due to the level I was working with at the time. It would have been to, to progress people up a pathway, which would be the equivalent of, of what I'm doing. When I say that now, David, I'm more saying I understand other people's you know, intent or view on what the purpose of my role is. And I embrace that to a degree, but it's not how I focus my attention. My attention is placed in different areas in order to, to do that role. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's changed over time for sure. Um, and it's changed as I've learned. And it, the interesting thing was, and I don't know whether in a business world, you might be able to unpack this nicely, Jamie, like I'm really mindful that my, my, me leaning into uncertainty and seeing vulnerability as a strength and not feeling a, a sense of grave responsibility for other people's success or reward for other people's success has come as perhaps I'm more financially secure as I have other opportunities, I have a family around me. Um, so therefore me leaning into vulnerability and uncertainty has come over time due to other surrounding conditions in my life. I think back then. I saw that as my route to, you know, belonging, respect, safety, but I, I guess I, I pull on those factors from other areas of my life now. I don't know whether that's similar in business, Jamie. Well, I think I'd, I'd probably go back to a few of the things you mentioned before, and you, you spoke, you've spoken a lot about the journey and I was really intrigued to hear what you said about, um, people who you know, who join your sport and their mo motivations and, and whether they do change. And I think we, we certainly see that, um, within, within two good to go itself, in which we have people join whose motivations might be around X, Y, or Z, and then change as they sort of develop and grow. And I think, you know, what we've certainly been trying to do is to build a, you know, a caring culture and a culture in which people can feel that they can learn and develop on the job and have those introspective and 
uh, reflected com conversations about where they want to be. So I think, yeah, there are lots of parallels there. The biggest difference is that you're working with people who are world-class within their space. And, you know, what we, uh, what we tend to have, I'm not saying that the people we work with aren't world-class, far from it, they're all fantastic individuals, but it's a different way in which you measure performance, right? It's not a, a, um, a standard in which you can do peer-to-peer -peer measurement. It's really just done on, um, on an internal basis. So I think it's, it's, there's some slight nuance there, but it's about harnessing, I say, those, um, those motivations and, and pushing them towards that collective good and that, that collective mission. Absolutely. I, I mean, I know for myself and I see it in others, I think where we place value and meaning determines our motivation. And over time, I guess what I value and where I place meaning changes. You know, I was, I was at the opening question when you talk about being scared, it's I guess being scared is a fear of the unknown, but it's dependent on what you value and what you don't, you know, could something be taken away? Will I not achieve something that means a lot to me here? This, these are the provocations for being scared other than, you know, obviously life or death ones, which are a bit different, but that means we have to value life in itself, I guess, to be scared in that instance. And, and it's interesting because Craig, you were describing that learning around going from what sounded like a, a, a wider operating model, model to almost like really understanding the individual, understanding their motivators, that one-to-one -one relationship. And I think that is one thing that the sporting environment is actually really privileged that you can do that because it's small numbers, you know, you've got very close relationships between a, a coach and an athlete group. And I guess, Jamie, to you, the challenge that we often hear is as a company gets bigger and bigger and bigger, you often go from those much more personal one-to-one -one relationships where you really feel you can understand people and factor in their motivators, et cetera, to suddenly being much bigger and your, your X number of layers removed from that relationship. And you have to evolve your style in order to still have that impact with people, but you almost have to have a different playbook. Like you can't use that playbook. Has that been your experience of having to alter your playbook or your leadership approach as the company's grown? Sure. We've, we've grown from a handful of people to now we employ over 1200 people across two continents. Like it's, it really is, um, pinch yourself when, when you think of the growth that we've gone through over the past, um, seven years or so. And so, you know, for myself, you know, I've gone from being in the detail, in the operations, like completely swept on it to, to now having, you know, quite more of a backward step where I'm looking at things through through a different lens. And so, you know, we talk about coaching here in a very, um, in a very practical sense, I probably go more from actually coaching because I'm so far removed from it to more, it's, it's, it's more akin to things like mentoring and things like that. And so, you know, if I, I was to try and define myself as a leadership style, you know, I think I'm someone who is incredible. Well, I try to be anyway, you'll have to ask my team that, um, of someone who is relatable, you know, someone who makes themselves seem incredible, approachable. But again, I bring everything back to the mission and to the why, because I feel, yeah, that is the inspiration and that's the reasons why everybody joined. And that's the shared goal that, um, that, uh, that, that brings us all together. And if you were to give the five year ago version of you, any <laughs> Advice. Patience. <laughs> I think it would all be around patience, to be honest. Um, and, you know, I, I think there's so, so many 
so many synergies with what with what you've been saying, Craig, and what motivates you. So for me, you know, my motivation again is around people. You know, I'm ne- I'm never someone who enjoys being hunched over a laptop, but rather it's you know I, I thrive off off the energy of others. And so I guess it would just be to ensure that I was always being put in environments in which I'm able to you know bounce up others, to use others as soundboards, or have myself being used as a soundboard as well. Um, but within that is, is patience. You know, it, uh, I think we could all be, um, relatively impatient when we're trying to, um, when, when we're trying to get things moving. So it would have that patience. Um, but also, um, yeah, everything else. So just touched on that too. Thank you. And how about you, Craig? What advice would you give to you five years ago? Less is more would be, would be the one liner, I think. Um, I think certainly in sport and maybe in the concept of leadership across any domains is we're led to believe that, you know, we, we need to give knowledge and educate and drive people forwards. Um, and, and I often think we, we suffocate people and don't give people enough space to be them. Yeah. I wrote down there as you were talking, Jeremy, like space and time for people to express their full self. And a leader can often need to get out the way, I think, sometimes to do that. And the culture and, and dynamics and interactions that happen kind of bring out the individuals to you. you don't, it's not that you have to have a one-to-one with 30 staffs once a week to understand, you know, how their family are getting on, what's their motivations, what are the challenges to their workload. I think it's the small touches that make a difference and, and setting an, an environment where where, you know, pe- people can be trusted and have trust to be their full self uh, and engage within that. You know, I, I love the definition of trust from uh, Rachel Botsman. She defines it as, as a confident relationship with the unknown. And it's just so powerful to me that it makes a lot of sense on my own journey because I see a lot of challenge to trust in the sporting domain around that. And it is often that people seek to have this kind of sense of control that I don't think is achievable. In, in, a, in a sporting domain that's always becoming, and you know, certainly in our environment where the water's always moving, the poles are moving in the wind, the courses are always different. This concept of a desire or a need for control can be really self-consuming. Mm. It's certainly something that we spend almost all of our time doing, which is supporting leadership teams to create that the best possible environment for people to be able to kind of ultimately flourish and, and deliver their best performance. And the thing that we see consistently as the one, the number one thing that that holds that back from being successful is the individual's need to demonstrate their value. And it's so ironic that that's the thing that almost kind of um, undoes that whole thing. So if we were to kind of distill it right down, and I was almost kind of making you identify the two or three things that you guys are able to do to create that environment as leaders, what is it that that you focused on in order to kind of create that environment for others to flourish. Jamie, I'll, I'll throw it to you first. For us, it is this um, environment of inclusivity. You know, and we, we speak a lot about inclusive leadership and how, you know, this is, you know, this space in which people feel valued, they feel heard. And as a result, they, they trust that they can try new things because, you know, I talked as well about our performance culture. We want to have a performance culture, but in order to have that, you know, we need to give people that flexibility to try new things, to innovate. And, and with that, you know, we're ultimately going to have times in which people don't. 
um, succeed all, 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 all of that time. I'll meander my way to your answer, if I may be so uh, self-indulgent, David. So I think if you ask a hundred sports coaches, what makes the most skillful performers in their sport, you'll get two or three things that crop up a lot, adaptability, creative. And you know, one thing I think it's important for us all to ask back to ourselves is like, what do we do in our environment to support that? And what do we do to repel it? Yes, I think, like you said at the start, David, that feeling of striving to be seen to add value or have respect or meet a KPI, we often suppress the very things that we value in what produces success for our organization, for the sport, for the business, for the individual. And I think I see a lot of that. And even that most simplistic question, I have to ask myself quite regularly just to be grounded in what's important, I think. Um, in terms of kind of two or three things, I think. I think it's important to understand the people around you and the environment around you. So what that leads to, I think, is hopefully some sense of unity of a direction of travel. So for me, the direction of travel is owned by the athlete and supported by me and the team around them. Um, to really unite on what the environment demands. So I often get asked, I'm quite ecologically minded in terms of my kind of motor learning views of the sport and psychology and things. So I get asked, well, how, how, when a new practitioner who doesn't see the world like that, how do you, how do you align? And I say, well, we kind of start with what we think the sport demands and what it is in terms of the race run or, you know, the swim or whatever it might be. And we draw backwards from that and we see if our practices and methodologies of, of, of environment design are, are congruent with that. Um, and then for the more personal level, I don't think you can build a culture. I don't think you can create a culture. You have to follow the stories, the narratives, the experience. So that sense of kind of, you know, what experiences do people want to have as, as part of following their direction of travel here, as part of, you know, a journey in sport over time, how does it look, feel and sound to them to be part of it? And I think we can still get better in the sporting landscape when we review and appraise things and we have culture health checks, we often ask relative to values that have been done to us, you know, we may have had some say, you know, it's hard, you know, I, I kind of, we would, we would all have very different value and meaning rather than what experience did you have this year that you valued the most? And we start to unpack the story and we follow the lines between people's stories and we get a sense of what it's like to be part of that community then, I think. Well, I, I think today I can't believe the time that we've uh, we've had together already. It's, it's been incredible, and and we've had a kind of rich insight into what you guys as leaders have done to create the best possible environment for others to flourish. And I think that's really the, the message that's kind of rung home, and, and certainly that I've picked out from it. One thing that we, we love asking just before the end is, as a result of this conversation, what have you either re-remembered, realised, or or really kind of want to take away and embed into to your worlds as a result of this conversation. So Craig, uh, throwing to you, first of all, what's been the things that have kind of stood out and that you want to take away from today? I think it's just great to hear from Jamie in a, in a different domain, like the, the sense that it starts with a mission, like, which for me is a real, like passionate and socially responsible mission. And then there's a business bill around that, that has it so, you know, that for people and has career paths within that. And it's, I'm really fascinated by that kind of entanglement of those two things and how Jamie has articulated beautifully, how he navigates that and stays true to purpose whilst also running a business model. 
I think there's a lot of, um, a lot of resonance to sport in that, that I will continue to ponder on, I think, and, and see where it takes me in the coming, coming days. So thank you, Jamie. Well, thank you. I guess for my, for myself, it's this, um, I think the bit, the biggest take home for me from this is, is reminding ourselves about what, what that journey, and you've spoken a lot about nav- navigating that, that, that journey, Craig. And as I, as I mentioned earlier, we, we have ambitious targets. You know, we want to have ambition targets. We have a performance culture, but there is this sense of, you know, this sense of emptiness that follows the, 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 the sense of, of huge success every time you hit a milestone. And what I often say to people is, you know, it's not about hitting the numbers. It's about enjoying the ride. And I think it's staying true to that to myself, which is enjoying the process of getting there. Um, and then again, when you reach or, or striving for that, um, for that next goal, it's again, reminding yourself of that journey and, and enjoying the ride along the way. Well, we've certainly enjoyed this ride uh, and it's been quite a journey. So uh, thank you both so much and uh, massively appreciate uh, the, the kind of the openness that you've both shared uh, right the way through. Thank you.